0: Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land.
1: Thanks for checking into the best Houston Sports podcast. Welcome to our live Texans Broncos post game show. Robert with Sports Radio 610, Sean Vijani. And oh, it was another boring Texans game. Oh, oh, wait, wait. I'm being told this is eight straight one score. Get what? Eight straight one score game shot. This isn't the leave early to beat the traffic Texans.
0: No, it's um <laughs> you know, have check your pulse rate and uh your cholesterol levels and all kinds of stuff after the game, after these games, man. It's nuts, dude. Like eight straight games of uh it being decided on the final possession and inside 2 minutes and most of them within the, you know, last few waning seconds. I mean, it's been absolutely nuts and I love it. Unbelievable.
1: Stroud 16 for 27. 274 yards, one touchdown, zero picks. Nico Collins, nine catches, 191 yards, 191 yards and a touchdown. He's nine yards away from 1,000 this year. Get in the comments. We want to hear from you. We're going to do like we do every week, break it down possession by possession. Texans first possession, three and out. Stroud scrambles on third down but is a yard short Broncos first possession three and out Texans got lucky on second down when Cortland Sutton beat Nelson, but he dropped the ball. So Texans good field position because Anderson got a hand in on the punt. We'll have a ton more about Will Anderson, but the Texans then get a wide open Brevin Jordan replacing Dalton Schultz. That mattered a big deal. 27 yards to the 20, but Sean, Sean, a missed opportunity on third and one incompletion to Andrew Beck. Can Sloic design a better third and short option, please?
0: I loved it. I thought it was a beautiful play. I mean, he just didn't come up with it. You know, the pass was a little high to Beck. And, you know, he's missed a couple of those kind of plays in and around the goal line, I feel like, this year already. I mean, it doesn't look good. If he wasn't a fullback, you know, we would just kind of pass it off as like, ah, you know, it's tough. There's another missed opportunity. Because he doesn't get a lot of those, it sticks out. I honestly, I'm probably in a minority because there's a lot of people up next to me in the press box that hated the play and were dog cussing, you know, Beck after uh, the drop. But I freaking love the play design. It just didn't, he didn't catch it. If he caught it, he might, he might have scored there if he makes a guy miss or, you know, lowers a shoulder and runs through him. I don't like depending on, does it be the guy? Okay. Okay. Fine. But I think it's important. You, you have to. Okay. And get used to it, maybe because now that you lose Tank Dell for the for the season, um, you have to. If you if you wear a jersey, <laughs> you got a number, and you're an offensive player, you have to be able to catch the damn ball. At, at the end of the day, Eric Saubert has got to be able to catch a ball. Andrew Beck's got to be able to catch a ball. Brevin Jordan's got to be able to catch a ball. And look, two out of those three guys did today. Okay. You know, and for that matter, I think Beck ended up catching one later on. in the
1: Yeah, you're breaking up a little bit. But, I I mean, my feeling with Andrew Beck is I just – for me, he's like the guy that I don't want to go to as that option at that particular time. And, you know, I just – it's frustrating while we're waiting to get your signal back a little bit. Um, Can you hear me? uh, Yeah, I got you. I got you now. One one of our – One of our uh, viewers says, I hope fans start showing up to games. It gets ridiculous seeing the opposing team's fans outnumber our fans. CJ will leave if this is the case. Sean, what did you see out there?
0: What, in terms of the fans? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it was probably uh, half full with Bronco fans. You know, they were on their side and kind of curled around behind the end zones. It was very New Orleans Saints, very Pittsburgh Steelers-esque you know here but it was one of the bigger games on the schedule already and so you know for people to act surprised like there's a whole bunch of opposing fans here like get over it dude like this team sucked for 3 straight years people got out of their season tickets the waiting list for, went from 12,000 to 0 um and I've said this time and time again hey if you want to come out here and you got some money to spend go for it do it don't just talk about it and gripe you know spend your money and come out here I'm just going to say, like, it gets really easy. Uh, You get really used to not spending, you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars on season tickets and merchandise and, you know, snacks to come out to games for three years when your team stinks. It's a long-term commitment. And a lot of of people, I have to imagine, probably made a long-term decision a year, two, three years ago when this team went in the tank. So it's going to take a little bit of time. I think it's just kind of natural. You know, some of these non-marquee kind of games, you know, when you're playing uh, some, of the, some of the stinkier teams, um, the lesser teams in the NFL, you're going to see more Texan fans because they're going to come out and buy those tickets because they're available. These tickets probably hadn't been available for the better part of a year because Texan fans had sold their tickets. And they don't care where they sell their tickets to as long as they're making money. It,
1: it's going to take time. I mean, this whole thing fell apart. The wheels came off. I, I know it's obvious to you people that are watching every week, but yeah, you, you lost some people that just the loyalty, it takes it takes a long time to get loyalty back when, once you lose it. And that's just yeah. going to be the case. And look, this is a town that, you know, that there's there's not the fervency in, in a lot of fan bases. It, it hasn't been really, this really hasn't been since Love You Blue. These fans have been burnt. I think it's a part of it, but it's a... You know, let's remember this is a town that's a transient town. People move here from other places. It's not a Midwest, a northeast town. This is Houston. It's like Phoenix, LA. You get a lot of people from a lot of other places. They got other allegiances. That's the hard part. And again, you know, it's tough because of what has happened the last few years. You know, that's just part of the deal.
0: I mean it's uh, um I, I look yeah. at it very simplistically. We don't have to stick on it, but I'll just say, like in a city you know, area wise with, you know, up and around, you know, five, six million people, whatever it is. It's a lot of people who live in the area. Um, all you got to do is fill up 70,000 seats on a given Sunday, eight times a regular season. Um, it's, it's a commitment, but I'm not going to say it's like a, a crazy one because there's a lot of money floating around out there. A lot of corporations have tickets, buy them up hand them out. Just they got to get them to the right people that are going to come and support and be loud. Um, I'll say this, the ones that are here are really, really passionate. I thought it was really cool. I counted about four different times today where Denver Bronco fans started a chant saying, let's go Denver, which was quickly drowned out by uh, half of the stadium booing and drowning the Bronco cheers out. So there was a response there. There's uh, There's some passion there. Texan fans, let them drop today and let the Bronco fans hear it.
1: Okay, back to the game. We were talking about Andrew Beck. It it doesn't help my Andrew Beck uh, hatred when he commits also, it's a little bit later, but that 15-yard special teams penalty that actually cost yeah. over 20 yards in field position. So Beck is not getting on my side at all. I know he developed a little bit of cachet with that kickoff return earlier in the year, but since then and the play calling with him, I just, anyway, Broncos a three and out. When Will Anderson sacks Wilson on third down, Sean, in the first few minutes of the game, Will Anderson, QB hit, sack, TFL tipped punt.
0: Felt like it was going to be a big day from that moment, uh, to be honest with you. That, that was my initial thought. And the reason why I kind of, from an athletic standpoint, um, he seems to do really well against more mobile, athletic quarterbacks that are more apt to leave the pocket. Um, and maybe it's because of his athleticism of just his high motor, you know, that he plays with the guy literally ran around and like did a circle around the entire line of scrimmage at one point to get to Russell Wilson. And, uh, I can't remember if that was the one where he brought him down or he got him down, but Wilson had gotten rid of the ball already. The guy is just tremendous. I just thought he was going to have a big day because, it just seemed like that style of offense, with a little zone read, a little play action, bodes really well for a guy like that, who sometimes, and he scared me today, can kind of bite down on that read option. You know, will key in on that running back. Sometimes guesses wrong, maybe sees something that's not there. Uh, they ended up coming back and burning Jerry Hughes with the uh, quarterback keeper on the zone read. Wilson beat him off the edge for about eleven yards. Uh, And it's the long play there. You're going to set that up. You might not run it against the same personnel because they might be used to seeing it. Well, they got Anderson, and he guessed right at that particular time. Jerry Hughes guessed wrong earlier or later in the game.
1: Yeah, and Will Anderson got him one time when he didn't bite. And Mm -hmm. that's a play we're going to get to, but that was a big one. Texans with another big play to start the next drive, though. Stroud to Nico, 51 yards. Hell of a catch. Fantastic adjustment on a throw that led Nico off his line a little bit inside. Then on fourth and two, Alex Singleton does the Texans a huge favor. Thank you for that one, Alex Singleton, with the personal foul on Stroud. Give C.J. credit for goading him a little bit into that penalty, which sets up the Pierce touchdown run. Although it was a costly one, Tank Dell breaks his fibula trying to uh, throw a goal line block shot. Tank's almost too fearless. It seems like for his own good.
0: I was trying to figure out why the hell he was in there in the first place. Um, right. That's. I, I get it. It's a very. They're very proud. Tank is very a proud football player. He's a football player. He's not a five eight hundred and sixty five pound specialist. You know. Um, he's a football player and he wants to play football. And Sloick's very proud of that too. But I just thought. You know, this is the NFL, man. You got to be a little bit smarter from a personnel standpoint. And it kind of goes back to the same philosophy, what we were talking about and the point that you were making with Andrew Beck and, um, you know, going to him earlier on that uh, possession early in the game. Like, why do you do that? Why are you trusting that guy? Well, sure, you don't trust that guy in that position. You trust the guys that have made plays before. Well, guess what? The opposition keys in on those guys. They don't know what the hell's coming with Eric Saubert and Andrew Beck in the football game. I mean, they ran it earlier on the first series and the Texans went pretty heavy run with those two guys in there in the personnel packages. I thought it was a long play by Slowick and an important one. If you're going to keep the defense guessing, which the Texans haven't always done this year from a personnel standpoint. With these guys in, you're probably thinking heavy run for them to go pass. Yeah, that was important. You'd like to. Be there be an imbalance in terms of predictability, what the defense is thinking with Tank Dell in a football game. I just don't want him in there so close to the line, having to freaking, you know, put his head down and try to stick his helmet through somebody's chest in a run blocking situation where he doesn't have to. You know, you could do anything you wanted there. You're so close, you're four yards away. If you're going to dial up, run, run. If you're not, then don't. I mean, and I hate it because if it didn't happen, probably wouldn't be talking about it. It might be an afterthought, but uh, it was just a tough way for Tank Dell to go down. I mean, this was one of my biggest concerns, like everybody else, is the uh, sustainability of a guy that size, but it's a lot more sustainable when you're not asking him to be around of a pile of, you know, 20 other guys, you know, that could roll up on an ankle, which is what happened, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, and it could have happened to anybody. I don't think it was his size, unless you think his leg is – so small that this is so easily for
0: it is small dude i mean he's got uh, no shot at tank he's got a small frame dude his calves are this big he's a small guy he's 5'8 165 it could happen it did happen unfortunately
1: yeah the other thing is i don't think you're expecting tank to run five yards you know into the front of the pack is which is what he did they thought oh if he's going to make a block it's going to be on the outside which is where he's at so, I don't know. It's hard to get mad because you like having Tank in there as many many times as possible because he's such a decoy. And so, I don't know. Um, so, the Texans shut down the next drive. Three notable defensive plays. Petrie actually makes a great open field tackle on first down. I note that because it was Petrie and it was an open field tackle. <laughs> then Desmond King, who had a team leading 10 tackles with a TFL on third down, Jerry Hughes gets Wilson, or he he is a TFL. And then on third down, Jerry Hughes gets Russell Wilson on a scramble. So Stroud, third possession, third straight chunk play, 59 yards to Nico. He carries tackles for those last 15 yards. Scruggs makes his first major mistake, Sean, a block in the back penalty. Stroud's third down scramble fails. Amendola with his second field goal. But, Sean, you got to be happy. Three drives, three scores at this point.
0: Yeah, no question. And it was the chunky plays, man, you know, one for 52, 57. Um, I can't remember if uh, Brevin Jordan had had the 24-yarder by that point in time or not, but um, it was it was really, really fun to watch. And it was, again, how they were doing it. Stroud, to, to just his fearlessness, manipulate the pocket, you know, slide. There was one of them. I think it was the 52 or the 59-yarder. That dude slid up in the pocket like two or three different times and it was just one of the most impressive complete plays that i'd seen because of how it started good clean pocket stroud feels the pressure steps back steps up steps up again and then steps up and boom you know drops a dime and it was just it was really really cool to see uh there's no doubt about it that this guy's an absolute weapon and all i could think is as this kind of game went along and you continue to see stroud make you know uh, really next level throws man how much how much could they possibly miss tank dell i mean don't you if you trust in slowick's offense enough man you trust him to find a way to do this and the fact that really in this game dell didn't have one target i mean he got hurt on one of a handful of plays that he was actually in on and it just happened to be a dang run block and block and play uh nico collins did what he did without Uh, Tank Dell even being on the field so that that was encouraging just kind of a little sidebar note there but um, the 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 fast start by the Texans offensively still I didn't hear the complete postgame comment comments from CJ Stroud but I have to believe even D'Amico probably would mention this too they've still got to be better in the red zone Robert I mean they left a lot of points off of the board settling for field goals in this game after having been on the Broncos 20 a couple of times uh, they get stalled out at like the 10 or 11 yard line, have to settle for a field goal there. They left points on the board and that's something that uh, they're going to have to continue to improve on.
1: Yeah. And that again, has a lot to do with where your running game is and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, yeah, there was just some, there was some minor mistakes that were, that went on. Like we said that the Andrew Beck, that was a big one. Andrew Beck, not being able to catch that pass. Maybe the pass wasn't quite right, but again, it was a, it was a hard play to execute or whatever. So that was a big one. So the Texans D still looking great. They shut down Denver at midfield. Maybe a little luck on what could have been a Stingley pass interference inside the five, but didn't happen. Next up, Texans finally a drive that stalls. Stroud missed Mechie on third down. Broncos follow with a good drive, but they're held to a field goal. Will Anderson, again, the key. His pressure on third down forces Wilson to throw it away. Four quarterback hits for Anderson with his two sacks in this one, Sean. And overall, just a great half for the Texans, D.
0: Yeah, I really thought it was. Um, The the, the pressures that they were dialing up, it was – I can't wait to kind of go back and look at some of these, you know, that Will Anderson got home on, Jonathan Grenard. Um, and what they were doing to kind of clog up the middle to contain Russell Wilson, I thought they really could have done a better job as the game went on. But in the first half, I liked how disciplined they were in terms of their attack. Not not over-pursuing, not taking poor angles. They did a good job of containing Russ, you know, for the most part. At one point, you look up there and the guys went for four for 12 yards. <laughs> and the other guy, C.J. Stroud, had thrown thrown the ball like eight or nine times already for a buck 50 it was crazy um and so at that point in time that first half man it was just it was a really complete football game and you really thought like you know what if if this Texans defense makes a couple of more stops in the second half to start they could run away with this darn thing and I, I really think they could have if they would have been, ended up uh, getting some more things going offensively they just They stalled out after a little 12-yard play here or a 10-yard run here. It was just kind of three and out after that, and that kind of hurt them in the second half. Made this more interesting than it should have been.
1: Yeah, well, there's a a play we're going to get to in the second half that could have helped them run away with it that didn't happen. We're going to discuss that one too, but I just want to point out the Texans were getting pressure with really not even blitzing, were they, Sean? I mean, I, I, I can't even recall a blitz in this game that the Texans tried. It was just the four-man front almost the entire game.
0: Yeah, and uh, you're probably right. Uh, you know, we get caught up, and, you know, you're looking at one thing, somebody else is looking at another thing, and it's hard to see. But um, sometimes, you know, you can run something a little delayed, um, I, I noticed one play, particularly in the second half, you know, you're talking about, and you're probably right, Texans maybe didn't blitz a whole bunch, um, and there's probably good reason for that, uh, because you don't want to, uh, you know, create a hole, an unnecessary hole with a guy like Russell Wilson as your quarterback, who over the course of the last few weeks during this win streak of theirs, has really shown some great uh escapability. He's looked like Russ of old, like vintage Russ, you know, where he's making plays with his arm. He's making plays with his legs and one's complementing the other and the Broncos, while they hadn't been explosive and blowing the uh, roof off of the place, they've let one thing or the other set up uh, and compliment each other. I'll put it to you that way. And so that might've been a very much a part of their game plan, but the Texans did run a delayed blitz and um There was one play where Desmond King, you know, was coming off of a late switch because of pre-snap motion. Russ changed something late in the formation. And Des King literally runs like a semicircle around the line of scrimmage and never stops, gets in the backfield, and makes a tremendous play, man. Uh, I think it was a TFL, it was a pressure, whatever it was. Yeah, I know.
1: He got the running back on the backside. Yeah, that was a great play by him. And and, um, look, Bobby says – Interior line needs help, both sides, mainly offense. Let me just I, – I, I'll end that discussion right now. The interior on their defense, could could, could it have been better? No, it's an improvement. They, they're going to have to add some guys, like high draft picks, but I think they've done a decent job considering they've kind of patchworked it together with the guys that they, they have. But the interior offensive line, do you not understand, Bobby, that everybody's hurt? You know, they're 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 on their fourth center. They're playing Michael Dieter that wouldn't be on this team if it wasn't for all the injuries. They're playing Juice Scruggs out of position. They wanted to play him at center. Kenyon Green's out. Kendrick Green's out. I mean, that's the interior offensive line. So that I'm gonna just shut that question down immediately. And as far as um why do they keep forcing the ball to Pierce? Um yeah, I don't have any notes on Pierce, but I, I just have this observation. Sean, I'm interested to get your observation on Pierce. I thought he had a couple of really good runs, but overall I have become increasingly frustrated with his inability to see holes. Sometimes he runs right into, you know, the de- where the defense is, and, and I see a hole on the left or the right side. He doesn't bounce it out really good. I don't think he, he's good at, like, holding it a little bit, like taking a second and then looking for the hole. He just goes straight ahead. He had that one great run, you know, that was almost a 25 yarder that he popped off. And and that looked like the Damian Pierce that we saw last year with the, the energy and the cutting and all that sort of stuff. But for the most part, his vision concerns me a lot.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I noticed that with, with Pierce again today. I also noticed it with uh, Singletary, Singletary probably scores on a, I'm guessing uh, somewhere around the neighborhood of a 15 20 yard touchdown if he sees a hole um, you know in the north end zone. I think it was early in the first half we had an opportunity. and look, that's what zone the zone blocking run scheme is is you've got to be patient because you know there's there are a couple of different options. That's the only thing I coached in, in high school ball and uh, it's one of the more difficult things to teach a kid. Uh, is to be patient, wait for that cutback to open up, or just to be patient, period, because they know the cutback is going to be there, but sometimes they leave, they decommit uh, or commit to that cutback lane before the hole's there. So it, it, it's something that takes time. It takes a lot of reps. Pierce obviously missed, you know, a month plus uh, with the ankle injury. And, you know, I know Bobby Slow had talked about it last week where he'd said he'd felt like Damian Pierce was starting to come around. Before the injury. And so that kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit because what I saw from Damian Pierce pre-injury was kind of what I saw from him today. Like there's flashes. It's just, I don't think he's seeing it. We talk all the time about Jalen Petrie kind of being unsure, you know, and kind of selling out sometimes. And when the dude misses, it looks really bad. I think Damian Pierce is kind of having some similar issues offensively carrying the ball he looks a little unsure sometimes about, you know, being as patient as he thinks, as he knows he should be running the ball. Sometimes he says, it looks like he says, screw it. He's going to go full head of steam. And, you know, that's when you see the one yard and a pile of dust, two yards in a pile of dust. And next thing you know, you go back and you look at the replay and you say, gosh, dog, man, there was a nice little cutback lane there. If he just waits a half second or a full second, you know, so it's it's just a process. But, I mean, heck, you saw Darian Gumbeloli, uh Singletary, and Pierce all get the rock today. And um, it's just um, I think there's a lot more going on with the communication and execution aspect of the offensive line, if you really think about it. Because as good of a game as I thought Juice Scruggs had last week stepping in uh, for the injured Titus Howard, particularly in the first couple of series, I thought Juice Scruggs had a rough go of it early on today. He was getting uh, manhandled by uh, – uh, I think it was number 77 or whatever it was not 77 as all offense offensive lineman uh, Perlman or whatever the hell the guy's name is for the Broncos. Scruggs has got a lot of work to do, particularly in, in, in pass protection and run blocking. He was pretty good at it at center. It's a little bit of a different dynamic at left guard. It's just you got about four or five more games left, man, of this regular season. He's still got a lot of work to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, I see him pushing guys back all the time where Dieter and Jarrett Patterson and all the centers that we've had recently, they can't push anybody. Like, he needs to be center. And that's the issue. Is he's playing out of position, like, let's wait till next year to evaluate some of these guys on the offensive line. Because it's it's basically, I've been a fire drill the whole season. And it's not fair to a lot of these offensive linemen. I mean, I can get on these guys all the time. But man, it's not fair. What, what's happened to this offensive line? I've never seen anything like this in all the yeah. years I've watched the Texans, Oilers, whatever. It's just been, it's been terrible. Uh, Frank says, how, how are the Steelers <laughs> still in front of the Texans in the playoff picture? Uh, boy, that's one of those, like, tell me, um, you know, h- how do you uh, solve global warming? Like, I don't know that question either. So like, <laughs> it's almost impossible. Let's go to the Texans' last possession of the half Stroud misses a wide-open John Mechie on what could have been the six right there. You talk about, Sean, why didn't they break this open? That was a big miss right there. And it was a rare two-minute drill failure for CJ that we've seen this year in the last part of the first half. So let's move to the third quarter. Broncos three and out, thanks to, again, that man, Will Anderson, but also John Grenard. They both get sacks on fantastic. Athletic plays to run down Wilson. Sean, it was it's a, just a night and day difference on the pass rush that we saw last week, which was felt like zero, to this week. You know, part of that's the secondary being a little bit better, part of that's their other the quarterback you're playing is a little bit worse. But these guys were in his face the whole game, whole game.
0: Yeah. Um and look, sometimes uh you go into a week where you feel really good about the matchups. And I think this was one of those weeks. Uh, I asked Sheldon Rankins after the game today, I said, hey, man, you know, kind of like you prefaced it, difficult week last week against Jacksonville. But this week, I mean, my gosh, you look up and Will Anderson alone had seven pressures. He probably ended the game with maybe nine or ten pressures for the game. Um, But that group, if it was Jonathan Grenard, if it was Will Anderson, Jerry Hughes a couple of times, like, Guys were getting home. Guys were making it difficult on on Russ to uh, get rid of the ball when he wanted it to, whether it be late or too soon. And um, what was the difference? And he said, "You know, look, we're just kind of starting to come together. Uh, we've been talking all season long about you know rushing together, everybody executing their jobs. The matchups worked in their favor today, but they also executed. Everybody did their job, and um, what what that means, you know, you read between the lines. Communication was good. Guys didn't." Uh, you know make mistakes technique was there the athleticism the matchups that they liked that they thought they could take advantage of this week they were there and they did um, and you just got to be able to find a way to consistently play with that physical brand of football that D'Amico says he wants them and needs them to play with we talked all week long about how physical this Broncos defense was today I thought it was it was really cool for D'Amico to kind of, you know, get win that battle within the war, if you will, against Sean Payton, you know, in, in the regard that, you know what, yeah, you guys are physical and we were ready for it, um, but were you ready for our physicality? And the Texans won that battle and ultimately the war, too, because of that.
1: Yeah, you talk about communication. I was noticing – I've never seen a Texans defense yelling out at stuff, talking – just constantly stuff going on before the snap was made. And Russell Wilson, you know, might have caught him a couple of times if he had snapped it a little bit earlier, but he didn't. And so the Texans were, you know, they were always doing that. I, I want to go back to something that I just was forgot to mention on Scruggs. Like one of the things I, I, I'm watching with Scruggs is they're they're having the guards and a lot of these offensive linemen do a lot of stunts. They're moving them from side to side. Well, this is a guy that's played center. So, you know, it, it's a different position that he's played for at least most of his college career. And he's just learned in the NFL. And you got to move in all over the place and whatever in the run game. And and a lot of times, you know, it just it wasn't working those stunts and everything in the run game. Whereas guys get in the backfield because, you know, stuff has got to be like where it's got to work like a finely tuned machine. And when you have these injuries, you haven't had time to do a finely tuned machine. Laramie Tunsell doesn't even practice as Sean has talked about over and over again. So you don't even have him out there, you know, during, during the week and, and Scruggs is just, just getting out there. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to defend Scruggs on this big time, but we'll get back to Scruggs uh, as this thing unfolds, but Texans get another huge play to Nico. Wow. Just another one, 39 yards to the 22. Again, they're forced to a field goal. But, Sean, there was an illegal formation penalty that didn't help, that basically screwed this drive. And you talk about the red zone issues, but these illegal formation penalties, this is like a Bobby Slowick offensive staple now. This is on him, isn't it?
0: I, You're going to have to help me out because uh, if there was I think there was two illegal formations. I can't remember if that was the first one or the second one in this game. And I, I got to be honest with you, I missed both of them. I looked up and I'm like, well, "What the heck's the flag for?" Um, so I mean, I, I don't know unless you can the, tell the, me that particular
1: happened. one was they didn't have the right number of guys on the line in scrimmage. I'm just talking about in no. general. They've had yeah. two guys moving at times, multiple times this year. They've well, the had one guys last week,
0: the one last week with Tank Dell and the illegal shift. You know, the elite that illegal shift was there was confusion but they called that correctly it was very ticky tack right but that was literally because nico collins had changed his feet you know he had like his left foot up at the line and then he moved to his right foot and that was after dell had already kind of come into motion or it happened really simultaneously in my opinion and so when there's two people moving at the same time you have to stop wait a second before the ball snaps so by the book you know they called that correctly last week but i it it is the offense from day one when you talk to anybody during training camp during preseason period they talked about details 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 and those are the things that they were talking about and you you would expect them to not rear their ugly head you know 12 13 weeks into a regular season those are things that you know you could make an argument that should be like in the back of your mind like Like the back of your hands just shouldn't happen. You should know exactly what to do, when to get set. It's got to be timed up perfect. But at the same time, you know, I understand because it is so little that you can make those mistakes. It just hurts when they're in the course of a game and it's, you know, you're at a point where you you could pull away from a team or it's getting tight and you have to have a play. You have to have a drive, sustain, choose some clock um and unfortunately every time one of those things rears its ugly head it just it seems it's like the most inopportune time for the Texans
1: yeah and it's it's stuff that you've got to overcome they could have overcome it they didn't but still you're you're putting a lot of you know this is a team that's one of the most penalized teams in the, in the NFL Sean Are they still yeah. number one in that is that right
0: I think in terms of yardage uh, penalized per game, I think they are. I mean, it was—it's been the case now for about four or five, six weeks in a row, I believe. And uh, I didn't check the latest numbers, but they're up there. I mean, whether you're one, two, three, four, or five, it, the fact that um, you know you're amongst the top in the league—it it hurts. It hurts. And look, you're right. They can overcome it. They could have overcome it if you feel good about you know having to overcome a a first and 15 after a play like that or second and 12 after a you know a short run you can't get anything going there you feel pretty good about it as long as C.J. Stroud's going to have the ball in his hands and you know within this offense even when it's like second and you know long, something good can happen he's going to get him back to third and manageable and, and and Bobby will get him into a play and you know, to be honest with you, more times than not this season that's happened. It's just it's not going to happen all the time. Sometimes, yes, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot, and unfortunately, we've kind of note I've noticed these things occurring a little bit more over the course of the last month. And look, it's cost them a couple of three ball games.
1: All right, Sean, you mentioned it earlier. Texans, it'd be nice if they would just blow somebody out, and it looked like they had the blowout going when Desmond King calls the fumble on the screen and then runs it in, what do you see on that play?
0: I, I thought that was probably the worst call that call specifically that I've ever seen. Like I've seen some bad ones, but I'll tell you how bad that call was. I turned to everybody <laughs> in the press box and I said, was that even a catch? It happened so fast. Like I questioned if that was even a catch because it was so bang, bang there was no whistle and only upon like the referees conferring did they determine that it was forward progress i don't understand that's like the quickest forward progress that i've ever seen in my entire life because i thought the que- the question of a catch was even in doubt and look uh, desmond king at the end of uh, at the uh end of this game you know we asked him in the locker room <laughs> He was just kind of miffed, you know, Jimmy Ward as well, commenting on the same play. He was like, that happened way too fast for that to be the case. Like, there's no way. But, you know, King said, hey, I just did what I did. I made a play. And, you know, you kind of move on at the end of the day. You got no choice. But that's going to be something that, uh, you know, is probably submitted to the league office by the Texans. I know they submitted a couple of plays from last weekend's game. Um, don't know specifically which ones those were, but teams do it all the time. That's got to be one of them that the league's going to take a look at uh, this week for sure.
1: Yeah, if you don't blow the whistle, the play's not over with. And I don't know how many times I've watched running backs get stood up and they, st- they get stood up for like one second, two seconds, three seconds, and then offensive linemen come in, push them forward, and there's never a whistle blown. There's never a stoppage of play. Then you got a play where the guy gets the ball. And in a millisecond, like you said, the, you weren't even sure if the whole reason I thought the official stopped it was just to see if that was a catch and that was going to be yeah. the judgment. But to say they blew the whistle. And look, man, sometimes you just wonder. This is the Texans. They don't get calls like this. And it gets tiring and it gets old. And I said earlier there was a defensive pass interference. Well, those are bang-bang plays, whatever. You know, I mean, that could have been called against the Texans, you could say. But we've seen too many of these, like, just egregiously bad, almost like the fix was in. And I'm not saying the fix is in. But, man, it looks bad when this happens against the Texans. And I've watched it for 20 years with the Texans. It's the same garbage, and I'm tired of it. And it gets old, and I'm with the fans on this one. You know, I am a fan. I'm a fan as well, too. But – like I also have tried to look at things objectively and it, and it just gets, you know, there seems to be like this overwhelming evidence, Sean, that dude, like we never get calls like that. We never do.
0: We get weird, yeah. stupid calls. Yeah. And I, I, I'm probably, who knows? I mean, a lot of other fan bases probably feel the same way. I mean, it's. Uh, not just Patriots just fans, well,
1: not Patriots fans, not Steelers uh, fans. I yeah, mean, there there's fan it, bases that, that don't have bad stuff happen to them and ours, it seems like it happens every other week. It's just weird, yeah
0: I mean I, I guess, but you know better better teams are playing in better games, and better games are getting the best referees typically I don't well know we
1: people. we were the primary game. We were moved up to the noon spot. we had the best broadcast team. They moved us up because we were a big game. You should have the best referees on our on the last hold two weeks the last two weeks especially
0: I know hold on I, before you get carried away and all that crap, like yeah. Uh, Like 85% of the surface area, the physical surface area of the country saw this game, but nobody fricking lives there. (laughs) You know, 85% of the country still saw uh, the other games, okay? Like anywhere over the eastern Midwest and eastern seaboard didn't get this game, okay? So say what you will about that. Here's what I kind of think, and it didn't really apply to that play at all because it was it was Desmond King and, uh, who was that, Pirine or whatever it was that he'd uh, taken the ball away from? I can't remember. Um, they forced Jimmy Ward out of the game after the hard hit on Russell Wilson because of fear, you know, concussion. They forced C.J. Stroud out of the game after the quarterback sneak for fear of a concussion. I wonder if they're going to just start calling those plays like that quicker to prevent like other players from coming in and finishing those plays to protect players. That's the only logical reason like that I could come up with and why they ruled forward progress there. But again, I go back to what I initially said. I don't know how that's possible because there was nobody really even close to the rest of that play. It was just those two guys. So there shouldn't have been any concern about somebody coming in and, you know, with a smoke show and, hole in somebody to finish a play, I just, I think it was a, a horrible call. There were a few of those in the game today, and there was a lot of them last week. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, yeah, we watch a lot of Texan games and we certainly see them not get the benefit of the doubt more times than not, it, it does seem. But what are you going to do?
1: Texans nest, next drive three and out. Desmond, that call gets worse when Cortland son, Sutton beats Petrie 32. Five yard touchdown pass Sean yeah Petrie gets beat deep again
0: this is a weekly thing now man but you know I know that was bad he got beat I thought he I thought he closed pretty well on it I just he got he got handsy and once he got handsy you know he, he was just kind of running you know his chins over his feet and he loses balance runs into the guy creates contact and it was absolutely 110% the correct call. But if you go back and you look at the second Derek Stingley interception and that Jalen Petrie, you know, call right there, that play, I, I want to talk to D'Amico about it. I want to see if I can talk to uh, Dino Vasso and uh, uh, whoever their other secondary coaches, his name slips my mind. But if that's something they're being taught to kind of do where they're just, they've closed out really well and they almost Petrie almost looking like he was just trying to get a hand on a hip to where he could position himself to undercut that ball a little bit, bat it down, maybe make a play on it. Um, I, I'd like to know their opinion on it because I wasn't like really that crazy upset about it. It's just, he didn't execute. He kind of lost his footing a little bit, ran into the guy, but um, it's not often. I, to my recollection that you see Petrie get beat like that. Um, he got beat, but I thought he closed it all and just didn't execute the play at the end. Um, but I, I want to talk to a, co- a couple of coaches about that and see what they think.
1: Yeah, my thing is if, if this had not happened, but once or twice this year with Petrie, it's just, it feels like it's every week and it feels like he is trailing the play every time. He's always behind the play. Usually it's not, uh, as close as it was this time, but usually he's the guy helping out, but he's just yeah. never there over the top. He just, you know, like you've got to well, some, see something like he that. Sometimes he's just coming. flat
0: out. You're yeah, right. I mean, there, I, I see the play vividly, you know, from last week where he was just flat out late, you know, whether it be he didn't get his eyes over in time. It was a late break for whatever reason. He was totally late. It was on that uh, 50, 52, 57 yarder that um, Tavi or Thomas got beat. Down the uh, left sideline uh, on the north end zone last week, um, he absolutely should have been in the area. They can make a contest on that one, and wasn't at all. But um, that—that's one thing. This was a little bit of a different type of a play. Like, yeah, okay, he got beat, uh, but you know what? So did uh, uh, so did Derek Stingley earlier in the ball game. Dude got smoked by like five six yards. He had fantastic closing speed and it made a great contest and had an awesome PBU. Uh, down the right sideline, headed toward the uh, north end zone here today. That was awesome. Um, And it was just well executed. I thought Petrie had an opportunity to do the same thing, just stumbled, didn't execute. And uh, unfortunately, you know, that one hurt.
1: So the Texans with another bad offensive possession. Stroud fumbles on a third down scramble. This was fortunate. Ogunbuwale saves the day when he recovers. Very important. Don't forget, our backup field goal kicker did a hell of a job on that play. Could have been a turning point, but instead, Sean, Will Anderson, again, game-changing play. Tips Russell Wilson's pass, and for the third straight week, Derek Stingley picks off a pass. Great interception. Good stuff from both first-round picks in the last two years. Nick Casario, we tip your cap. (laughs) <laughs> the park cap, uh, I should say.
0: Kind of tongue in cheek. Uh Stingley's had a fantastic, you know, last three weeks and fitting to do it here at home. Um with the two picks today, after that second one, I just <laughs> I immediately thought, sauce who? Screw sauce. <laughs> who needs that guy? This guy's playing fantastic football right now. Uh, you know, four interceptions, like eight passes defense the last three weeks. Um and You know that that's just you know him making plays on the balls. What about you know just him affecting other plays and forcing the quarterback you know to continue through a progression? Um, You know how many of those has he kind of changed and how's it benefited the Texans defensively? I think I got the interceptions mixed up. I think I did because that second interception by Stingley we're talking about right now, the one that was tipped by no, no, no. We're
1: talking about the first one, the first one where that Will Anderson tips the pass and he does a great job adjusting nearly you know, having to pick it okay, up. Okay. That the was ground. the first
0: one then. Yeah, that was yeah. the first one. But yeah. That's the one where you had to kind of come back for it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, the other we'll, go,
1: we'll go back to the second one in just two seconds. We have a couple of things that happened between that, but uh, yeah, Belay hello to you. Thanks for the, the will uh, and the muscle move. And of course, uh, Jalen also says, Will Anderson, Derek Stingley showed out. Absolutely. They were as big a story as anything in this game. Detections cash in on a Stroud to Nico TD pass, but the play I want you to talk about, Sean, is that throw by Brevin to Brevin Jordan by Stroud. Ridiculous.
0: Yeah, um, that was one of those plays in this offense particular that I think you know. I went back to like the Kubiak era and Schaub and the bootleg, and we'd seen Keenum run it before, you know. And that offense too, this this offense too, even this version, and it's like that plays there but how many times have you seen the quarterback even attempt that throw? And it's one in our minds where we're like, it's right there. Just make the play. It's not an easy play. It's not an easy throw today. CJ Stroud showed that that play can be made because he did make it. He has made those types of throws. He almost made one, you know, to Beck earlier in this game. And it just, Brevin Jordan, man, I'm telling you, this guy, I'm not going to say at the end of the day, like, we want Dalton, Dalton Schultz back, but, and we're not going to be saying Dalton who after Brevin Jordan in this game today, but Brevin Jordan in this offense with C.J. Stroud as quarterback can absolutely be a, a game changer. He even said afterwards, he knows he should have made a couple of more plays, especially dropping that pass up the middle yeah. uh, earlier in this ball game, but. If you got a quarterback that can make that throw, that isn't afraid to make that throw, that has the touch to make that throw, and a dude that can make that catch, you can do some special things in this offense. So Bobby Slowick is going to feel really good about that one going forward.
1: Yeah, the thing that was amazing to me is that he had time. I mean, he turns around in a split second, notices Brevin Jordan's open. If Brevin Jordan's not open and you're floating it out there off the wrong leg, you know as you're falling backwards, that could be a pick six, so to see all that and then make the throw and then make it on target, which yeah. is not a short throw you know it might have it might not have gone much past the line of scrimmage, maybe five yards or something like that, but he's like ten yards falling backwards it, just unbelievable and there's no there's not there, many guys in the league that can pull that throw off period
0: here's the thing um there's probably. Two throws. That was one of them for sure. Maybe that was probably my favorite one today. But the other one, nobody's going to remember. I just remember thinking like, holy smokes, how the heck did C.J. Stroud make this throw? It was in the second half maybe a possession or two behind this one where they're facing uh, it was a 4th and 17. And, no, I'm sorry. It was a it was the 3rd and 17 or whatever it was. 3rd and 12 maybe. And He's rolling out to his right. The play looks just absolutely dead in the water, like he's going to throw it away. But last second before he's about to get smoked, he throws a laser down the sideline, and it was going towards the north end zone. He throws a laser down the right sideline and hits Darian Gumbawale, like a little toe-tapper. You remember that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It went for 14 yards, but it obviously wasn't enough. They end up having to like uh, punt or whatever it was. Uh, I can't remember what the sequence now, but I just can't believe he made that throw. Every other quarterback not named C.J. Stroud, maybe Patrick Mahomes or somebody like that, they throw that ball away, man. C.J. Stroud just threw an absolute laser to Dare, and those are the two of the best throws, and look, that one obviously doesn't matter. Didn't result in anything. I think it resulted in the damn punt, but it was, it was well, pretty dang it, special.
1: It's big because it got you better field position for the punt, and that stuff yeah. really matters. And it got it got him an extra fourteen yards that you know Cam had to work with on the punt. So mm-hmm. anyway, Broncos scored touchdown next possession, but get help from a Jimmy Ward personal foul. What do you think of that personal foul that they called on Jimmy Ward, Sean?
0: Uh oh, the hit on Wilson. Um, yeah. I mean, I I thought it was crap. You know, it was one of those, I guess, I don't know, like real time. I didn't think it was a big deal. Real time. I, it was a big hit. But real time, I didn't think he went helmet to helmet with the guy. Um, and it was apparently a question of, you know, Russ kind of getting into a slide a little late. Jimmy already kind of engaged. What are you going to do? His shoulder hit Russ's shoulder, according to Jimmy, according to the replay. And it's one of those that I would be absolutely shocked if Jimmy Ward is, you know, given a fine on because the league will look at that and they will be like, yeah, that's one we uh, we messed up on. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> you know, I just thought it was uh, one of those, one of the handful of BS calls in this game again that luckily didn't cost the Texans this go-around.
1: The TV ref analyst agreed with you. He didn't think it was a personal foul. And, you know, it just, it, it becomes you basically are lying to the defense when you say you can touch the quarterback, it's almost like, what is the defense supposed to do? Cause then the quarterback can, can, you know, it, it just, they can just keep running because you can't touch him if, you know, cause they could slide at any second. And yeah. as soon as you jump to dive and grab them, they can do that stuff and it just, it gets old. And look, Jimmy was, it was picture perfect. He went in with the shoulder. He went out at the chest. I mean, he did everything that you were supposed to do, and they still call it a personal okay. foul. And to me, because the referees that they, they can't call that on the field, they're not they they can't do it. They're not sm- they're not quick enough. They don't see it well enough. You don't see anything, and and, and that speed that should be a replay official thing. And the and the, and, oh, the yeah. thing is, yeah. the thing is, it, it it should go to replay official from now on because you you guys aren't. You got you refs have proven you aren't smart enough to do that in real speed, but that's that's my thing. You know,
0: I'm not going to kill the refs because a play like that, like that, all happens very fast, faster. No, I'm saying that's my
1: point though. I'm not killing the refs. I'm saying take it out of the refs on the field's hand. It's not fair to them. I said it. It's not fair. It's not fair to them.
0: I was just going to agree with you, man. (laughs) I was just going to agree with you. Like you can't let those kinds of plays. Uh, potentially cost the team a game you know um, yeah. and and so whether it's uh, you know anything like hell he almost had the same exact play today this time it happened with Noah Brown as it did with Tank Dell last week you know and man did he get both feet down or not on the sideline like boom boom like at any point in the game inside two minutes outside two minutes that stuff is gotta go to like the booth like immediately like hey hold on give us 30 seconds. Let's make sure we get this right. The Jimmy Ward hit. Let's make sure we get this right. If it's a 30 to nothing ball game, if it's a 30 to 28 ball game, doesn't I don't care? I just want those things right. If it adds on 30 seconds, who cares? Get it right. And, and, and
1: I don't want the refs deciding this that, that are there. It should be guys somewhere else deciding that because you're going to see why on those calls, because you're going to say, well, we got it right. You know, I'm going to yeah. show that we got it right. If the, if the refs on the field get to look at the replay, you know, it shouldn't be there. You know it should be somebody in New York.
0: I don't, New York in the booth here, it doesn't matter. CYA there's you're all, you're all a group. Just get the call, right? Like the refs on the field don't take the heat from anybody, but the players fans, boo fans, cheer, who cares? Every fan in stadium America hates a ref doesn't matter um just get the call right there shouldn't be any question of a cya it should just be the question of cya in terms of the nfl saving its own ass just making sure they get a play right and on monday morning nobody's talking about a team uh you know being cost a game cost a a possession a touchdown a field goal because of a a botched call
1: after another texans three and out stingley pulls off that other interception Sean and and really that's probably the interception I've been most impressed with of all the interceptions that he's made because his ability to catch up to that one to you know make the the dot you know he dove in front of the guy and I felt like when I watched it happen in real time I was like yeah it it seemed like he had it the whole way it looked like he he knew he was kind of baiting him into it almost I mean I don't know if he did but it looked like it
0: yeah. I don't know if he baited him. Uh, I just thought it was a a great play on a ball. Um, you know, we'd saw earlier in uh, the play I was talking about down the right sideline going towards the North end zone. He got beat, uh, had great closing speed, made a great PBU on a ball. that I think he probably could have intercepted that one too. It would have been close, but um, I thought it was very similar on that same, uh, you know, same kind of a deal where, you know, he got beat, probably gave up a little more separation than he wanted to. And, you He's shown great closing speed and ball, uh, you know, just make, great ability to make plays on, on, on footballs in the air like that. I'd never seen an interception like that in person. Like that was the best interception I've ever seen in person. I have to say that because he, as you kind of undercut that ball a little bit, put yourself between the ball and the defender and kind of jumped up, reached back and made that catch. I just never seen such an athletic play. It was like, he looked like Gumby. Like, his arms, or Stretch Armstrong, like, his arms just did something funky, and it was just like, nope, that's mine. I was like, holy smokes. I was just literally jaw-dropping play to see, and uh, it, it came at a huge, huge time.
1: So, the Texans, the second half was not good for them offensively. They can't get anywhere. Stroud sacked for the fifth time in the game, although I will say a couple of those sacks that he took early were Stroud trying to scramble when he could have he didn't need to he was still in the pocket there was still time but he saw he tried to see a hole um I know comment on this Sean but I just saw a couple of times where he just saw a hole and or thought he could saw he, he had something but then he starts running and then the the guy that was blocked gets back in the play and it's called a sack so a couple of those were those kind of, but it was five sacks so that wasn't good but Great blitz calls, I, I also have to say from Denver all day. So so give them credit, give their defensive guys credit because they, they brought the blitz at the right time. The right guys were getting yeah. open. And the last drive, Sean, this is where we're at now. Is there anything that stands out for you ahead of the Jimmy Ward interception? And then and then you can talk about that.
0: Uh was that third and four? That was, a, that was a big play. The Christian Harris uh, pass interference, it was, he knew it. It was a legitimate call. Uh, he owned it. You know, the millisecond that it happened, um, that, that very easily was one that I thought was going to come back and bite him. I thought that was ball game right there. And my mind immediately went to two of the last three weeks. Russell Wilson's been in the same exact situation and has let his team down Uh, scoring a late touchdown, putting him in uh, position for a late game-winning field goal. He'd done it two out of the last three weeks, and I thought this was going to be the third uh, because of that play. Uh, I, I just thought, like, that felt like, man, this defense, this second half, it's just, yeah, they've gotten some picks, they've gotten some pressures and some sacks, but, man, they just ain't been able to close the deal. You know, and the couple of chunky plays that cost them in this game in the second half, I was just like, that was going to be the backbreaker. And the fact that they were able to respond after that, uh, you know, Jalen Petrie makes a really good tackle on a second and nine, um, a couple of plays later. um, And then Christian Harris comes right back on a third and eight when Russell Wilson's scrambling, uh, makes a stop with Rankin's. That, to me, for him to be in on that play was just like, yes. You know what I mean? Like, he he's flushed it. You know, he knew that, you know, if he got another opportunity, he was going to make a play. He made a huge play there got him into the fourth-and-one situation. And I thought it was absolutely huge down the stretch that you go back and you look. I don't know what D'Amico said about this after because I didn't hear his press conference, but I have to believe after Russ, you know, gets the uh, first down on the scramble on a fourth and one. When you get down to their goal line, there's no way you can let Russell Wilson beat you with his feet. There just ain't no way. And he scrambled on that fourth and one and the Texans had game plan for that. They'd sent Will Anderson on a little stunt right back up the middle. And I can't remember if it was number 77, number 74 for the Broncos Picked that block up. Perfect. Allowed. Wilson just scoot right in for that four or five yard scamper for the first down. That was nothing you could do about that. Those couple of three plays, man, those were huge. Um, and then obviously, you know, we'll get to the Jimmy Ward game-saving touchdown interception right here.
1: Yeah, the Will Anderson play—he gets him the feet. He just—he just didn't get enough of the feet. If it's the same play that you and I are thinking of, but mm-hmm. you know, he—he he, he almost got Will and Russell Wilson's feet almost tripped him up, just couldn't. Will Anderson was everywhere. There's so many near misses with Will Anderson that you know, you feel like it's coming. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. The Will Anderson being dominant is coming. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence that he's had a couple of good games recently, not long after, J.J. Watt has come and spoke to him a little bit, talked to him in person. I think those guys are in communication. And uh, I think that's making him better. The Jimmy Ward interception, um, I, I tweeted before the game, Sean, right before the game started, I said, the most important thing that's happened from last week and the last few weeks to this week is Jimmy Ward's in the lineup. And what a difference it looks like defensively. And I can't even explain it anymore because it's not like Jimmy Ward's making plays all over the place. At least it wasn't until that very play, the interception. But he, it just like, the the secondary, the guys seem to be in the right place. Things seems to be a little bit more oh. organized. I just Jimmy Ward being there matters.
0: I mean, he made a touchdown, potential touchdown saving tackle earlier in this ball game. I think it was in the uh earlier in the first half. It was a deep ball from Wilson to I think Judy down the left sideline towards the south end zone. Uh Ward came over the top and uh launched his body, undercut him and you know, tackled him around the twenty-five, thirty-yard line, whatever it was. I thought that was a huge play. Uh, Jimmy Ward just being back there is huge. I mean, you know it is. He's a baller. He's been a plus football player, uh, you know, for a long time. I don't care if he's 32, 33, doesn't matter. Dude's still got game, and it's vital that you have him in this defense. And the fact that you had, you know, your your starters that you'd penciled in out of training camp on the field for the first time today all season, that was huge. Um, it was just it, it was kind of perfect that they played as well as they did today. I know they gave up some chunky plays. Okay. Derek Stingley with uh, the game that he had, you know, a couple picks. Jimmy Ward very appropriately, um, you know, in the ball don't lie kind of uh, situation for the game saving interception late after a bogus uh, call uh, on the hit on Russ Wilson earlier in the game. I just thought was was really really appropriate, man. It was funny because I think it was Friday. Uh, I talked to Jimmy Ward in the locker room, and uh, somebody else asked him, you know, how big this game is and what what his experience in big games, his veteran leadership means uh, for the rest of the team to play in, a, in in such a game like this. Your your playoff lives are on the line, you know. Again, for the second straight week in a big game, and he said. It's not the Catalina wine mixer, <laughs> you know, referencing the Step Brothers line. And I just thought that was hilarious because he's like, yeah, look, it's a big game. But, it ain't you know, I mean, we just go out there and take care of business. You know, it is what it is. Every game's a game. We got a lot more left. And, you know, this is not going to be the end of the season if we lose. And it ain't going to be the end of the season if we win. And it's that kind of mentality, that kind of looseness that I think, uh, you know, he brings that kind of helps everybody in the moment but everybody knows how serious he takes it because of the work he puts in early in the morning and then in practice and in his game prep and how he's helping guys, you know, all over the place. They don't got to just be uh, dudes in the secondary. He helps everybody on this defense in the film room and on the practice field. People talk about it all the time with this guy. And D'Amico will tell you, that's why his presence is vital on this football field when he's healthy they're a much better football team because of it.
1: It also helps that Will Anderson was incredible, that Derek Stingley was incredible, that they did one other move that Diesel points out. We've mentioned Desmond King. Apparently, Sean Bajani must have gotten into the ear of D'Amico Ryans because during our post-game show last week, Sean Bajani said, Tavier Thomas is terrible. Could you at least throw out Desmond King in this game, when you're getting killed left and right by Tavier Thomas, guess what happened? Desmond King replaces Tavier Thomas in the starting lineup.
0: I, uh, you know, sometimes we're all validated by uh, what we think we see and what we think we know and what we would do. Uh, it didn't take, uh, you know, a football genius to realize that Tavier Thomas, um, you know, was going to be a hindrance because he put a lot of bad film out there Uh, with his performance last week. And a Sean Payton, you know, offense is going to find your hole. Good football coaches, good play callers, you know, find the holes in your defense. And he was a massive one. You needed somebody that fits the description of what D'Amico Ryans wants this defense to be, what he said it already is in terms of being physical and, you know, having that swarm into eight. not taking anything away from Tavi or Thomas, that little sucker, you know, he could play uh he could play outside linebacker for me a lot of days, but I don't need an outside linebacker lined up, you know, on the slot. And, you know, we know how bad some of these linebackers looked in coverage this year for the Texans and he's nothing but an extension of that linebacker core. And he's gotten exposed time and time again, they cost him last week. You had to play a guy who did more than a serviceable job. I don't care what anybody says. If they say Desmond King was cut from this football team because the Texans didn't like the way he played outside corner or they didn't like him in coverage, they're stupid. They, they're they covering up for something else. Desmond King is a good football player. He's good in coverage. He's physical. He's a good tackler. He's smart. Um, and this team you know, is that much better, again, for having a guy like him Another veteran presence uh, in that secondary, along with Jimmy Ward. But you can get those two dudes um, on this football field with Steven Nelson. And man, you just see, we can get Jalen Petrie right. Man, this is this is going to be a, a really, really good defense, uh, not just going forward. I'm talking about just the f- finish of this regular season. These dudes stay healthy. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch.
1: Yeah, I was about to say, if you're talking about Derek Stingley, if, you, if he stays healthy, it just should be included. It's like, the rest of his name. It's Derek Stinkley. Add that to the birth certificate. If he stays healthy, Derek Stinkley. You know, that's uh any last thought Sean before we close it up?
0: Just uh it's a huge win for the city. Um I I really thought aside from uh the obvious, they weren't going to be mathematically eliminated if they would have lost this game today, you know, from the the playoff hunt. But if they'd lost this game today, I didn't care what happened in front of them, you know, other games that had implications on their playoff uh, hopes. It just, it wouldn't have felt good. Um, It, it, they're already playing these really close games. um, And, 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 they're having to just pull them out in the nick of time. And more times than not, they've done it five times out of the last eight weeks. They've they've been winners, you know, in games that have been decided in the last few seconds. So that's huge. It just felt like if they would have lost this game, their playoff hopes would have been dashed all but mathematically. And the fact that they'd won, like, man, should really uh, energize the fan base, the city. You've only got two more home games left on the regular season schedule, man. And so... Now we all are going to get very comfortable the last five weeks of the season on our couches in front of the TV screens, just uh, hoping like hell this team can bring some exciting football back to NRG for the couple of weeks of the regular season. And so for that reason, man, I'm just, I'm super stoked by it, but I'm anxious to see what this offense looks like going forward, you know, without tank Dell, who's been one of their best players in the entire team this year, uh, You'd be surprised about it you know whatever it's just it's gonna hurt it just it stinks because um because you were really watching something special you could have had two receivers with cj stroud this season the clips a thousand yards receiving between nico collins and tank dell and now nico's just nine yards away from a thousand on his season tank wasn't very far behind because you knew he had some explosive games left in him um It's just tough. You just hope he comes back, uh, you know, better than ever next season.
1: Yeah, a couple of things you said. Number one, I thought it was a must win, must win, must win. That's what I tweeted out before the game. It was a must win. Number two, talking about Nico, everybody I see on social media, like, we got to get a number one receiver next year. Hey, look on the field. We got a number one receiver. His name's Nico Collins. Look, look again, and look again. And I I just, I've never understood after you watch him for a few games this year and what he's done with C.J. Stroud, that guy's the number one guy. Um, I'm not worried about a number one receiver for this team if if Nico is on the field. Um, The Texans have won seven of their last 10 games. In those three losses, they were outscored by a total of seven points. They're ninth in the entire NFL in point differential. As we speak, as you and I sit here, they're on the outside looking in for the playoffs right now because the Colts beat the Titans in overtime. The Colts have the same record, but that week two loss is the difference. But coming up, Tim Boyle, Will Levis, Joe Flacco, Gardner Minshew. That's what's left on the schedule. Thanks, everybody, for your comments. Thanks to Sean. Join us for our Jets Preview Wednesday, along with any other potential big Houston sports stories Keep your eye out for Rockets guests, too. The Texans win 22-17, beat the over-under win total with five games left in the season. That's your Houston Texans. Have a good one, everybody.
0: You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey,
1: you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.